Our scripture this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, again, good morning and uh, welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. My name is Nathan. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. It's, it's good to be together. It's good to, uh, yeah, just celebrate a beautiful day as well as to center ourselves in a, a place where we haven't been in a while uh, in the book of Ephesians. We've been in Matthew for uh, quite a long time, taking a little break um, and going to spend a couple weeks, couple weeks here. Well, about, about six months ago, I, I, I've got a whiteboard right next to my desk, uh, and I wrote in the corner of the whiteboard a, a quote, um, and it's, it's still there. It's, I still look at it. I still read it. It's something I, I just, I want, I want to remember, right? I want to, I want to keep, it, keep it inside me. Uh, and it, it's uh, from uh, the best-selling leadership book, Start With Why, uh, by Simon Sinek. Uh, and our staff together, we, we watched one of his, his TED Talks. And I, I don't know anything about this guy. Like, I don't, I don't know his faith background or anything like that. Uh, but his big idea, the thing that he says over and over and over and over again, is something that, honestly, that every church really needs to wrestle with. Here's what he says. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Of course, we're not selling anything, uh, but I mean, if you're listening to what he said there, it's not, it's not what you do that matters no, most. It's not even how you do it. It's why, always, always why. And I, you know, I have a little confession as a pastor and I'd love to keep my job. So um, yeah, don't fire me. Um, but there are times that I like, I just forget why. I get, I get so caught up in the what or the how uh, that I, I lose sight of, of why or, or wonder if the why is really worth it. I mean, anybody else, right? Of course. I mean, of course we feel that way sometimes about, about church. We all, we all have stories uh, of church being, being boring or worse, ineffective, or even worse, just abs- absolutely toxic, Right? Some of you have come from those environments, and, and even in the best scenario, like, church is just kind of weird, right? Most of us are just used to it, but, like, we gather together every week, right? We sing a couple songs. You listen to me or read Drone On forever, um, and we go about our business, right? We, we go home, and, and we expect something to have, have happened to us, right? To, to somehow be, be different or, or be changed or, or at least being shaped by these things, 
And I glance around at the problems in our world and in our community. I look at the problems in our homes and hearts. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that this, this keeps me awake at night. And I wonder, is this, is this really the best that we can do? Like this, right? Then, of course, we've been talking lately about expanding here, and it gets scary quickly, doesn't it? I mean, yes, yes, we're growing, but man, maybe instead of getting bigger, we should just, you know, shut it down already. Some of you are like, yeah, that'd probably be good, right? Um, and if pastors sometimes feel this way, I know you all have felt it. Why church? Why? Why? What's, it, what's it for? And if we, if we miss the why, we miss everything. So why, why do we do this thing? Why do, we, why do we gather? We're asking that question at all of our campuses these next, these next three weeks together. Kind of taking it aside a, a time out of our normal rhythm. We, we do this occasionally to, to talk, just remind ourselves like who we are, like what, what, our purpose, what our purpose actually is. Why church? And I've, I've got to tell you, it does give me some hope knowing that we're not the first church to wrestle with this question, right? I'm not the, I'm not the first pastor to, to have these, these challenges. In fact, even 2,000 years ago, in the early church, even they dealt with, with that question. It's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We're in Ephesians, uh, or you can, you know, find it on your, on your phone. Uh, love to, to be able to follow along uh, together. And, and why, why church? Well, here's, here's what we're going to see. Uh, this is what keeps me coming back. It, it's why I'm here today. It's why I plan to be here next week and next year. It's simply because there's hope here. I mean, if, I, if I had to boil it down of why, why I continue, despite all of her imperfections and inadequacies, why I continue to believe that the church matters. It's because there's hope here. And Paul, even in his letter, as he, he writes, this is back in, in chapter one, we're going to be in two, chapter two today, uh, but he, he writes, he says he prays that we may know the hope to which he has called you. There's hope here. Now let me just ask, like, where, where else are you finding hope today? Politics? Money? Success? Family? Sex? I mean, uh, we, we know, right, don't we? We know those things are never going to really cut it, not, not for the deep longings within us. But as we look at Ephesians, we're going to see three things over these three weeks. As we think about why church, it's because there's, there's hope for me, hope for us, and hope for all. That, that there's, there's hope for me, like for the death that lives in here, right? For my deepest fears and my biggest failures, there's hope for me. And, and, and then also next week, there's hope for us, for our community, for our relationships, for our work, for the, the things that, the people that are, you know, intertwined in our lives, there's hope for us and for all that we then, as God's people, are to be purveyors of this hope to a world that's, that's so broken. There's hope here. And the reason this hope lives here, the reason there's hope for me and what we're going to talk about this morning 
It's because the church tells a better story. That we, we tell a better story. And, and I, I realize for some of you hearing that, that sounds deeply arrogant, self-centered, like we're just the best, right? We, we Christians, we, have, we tell better stories. Like, that's, not, that's not what I mean at all. In fact, we'll see, if anything, from this story, that this story humbles us to the very depths. But friends, all of us are telling a story. All of our, our lives are lived out in stories. In fact, philosophers have sort of defined humanity. We live story-based lives. It's all, it's all about that. And some of, us, some of us, at least in our minds, we play the hero. Others play the villain. Most of us probably waffle between the two, right? We're either our best friend or our worst enemy all at the same time. But, but either way, like, like we're the star. We're the writer, the director. At least we, we want to be. And no matter what story you're trying to live, you have an idea of, of where it should all end, Right? may look a little bit different, but it's happily ever after, essentially. Right? We, we're living these stories that we think is going to lead to the best life, to, to fullness and to, to satisfaction. And the story that you're trying to live determines the hope that you have. But the story that you're trying to live, that you're trying to tell with your life, it, it determines what kind of hope that, that you have. And so if, you're, if your story is, is family, and family, family is important, but if that's your story, it has to be perfect. And if it doesn't turn out perfect, you're in, you're in big trouble. And even if it does turn out perfect, right, your, your hope is only going to extend to those closest to you. If your story is success or, or, or popularity, you know, your hope is only going to last as long as you keep getting promoted, as long as people continue to like you. I mean, if it's, if it's your health, like, then you have to live forever, and that's not going to happen. Whatever, whatever story it is that you're trying to live, that, that determines our hope. But this story, our story, it's the best story. Is your story big enough? For this is the story that knows us, rescues us, and includes us. Knows us, rescues us, and includes us. So, so first, the church knows the story that knows you. The church knows the story that knows you, which is a little bit creepy, maybe, right? I mean, that's fundamental to, to what we believe, that this book, we don't just read this book, this book reads us. Like this, this story, uh, we don't determine this story, that there's, there's another one speaking into this, this story for us. And let's be honest, like, that, that story couldn't be scarier, right? Who we really are, our biggest problem, it's not great. I mean, I, I like the occasional scary story. Uh, anybody else get sucked into Stranger Things on Netflix? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, it, is, it is dark and creepy and weird and kind of awesome. Um, don't judge me. Uh, that poster is super creepy. Um, but this, like, this story is worse. Th- this story is more frightening because it knows me. It knows what lives in here. And me? Like, just look at, look at what Paul says. Look how he just describes this. Okay, keep in mind now, in Ephesians 2, that Paul is writing to a real church. Right? Like, to real people. Um, not that different from any of us, right? This is a long time ago. But, but like, real people. He's writing maybe, maybe 30 years or so after the resurrection. Um, and Paul understands the, the story. He, he knows the darkness that lives inside us. I mean, we can't separate like Paul's writing from his, 
from his story, right? Do you know his story? Like, Paul was a murderer. He, he killed Christians. He, he hunted them down. He, he wanted to destroy Christianity and, and anything that had to do with Jesus. And then one day, all of a sudden, like, Jesus just shows up in his life, literally. And everything changed for him. Like, Paul then, he spends the remainder of his life going around spreading this message of hope that this God has come, that Jesus is, is everything, and he planted churches all across the known world. In fact, scholars say as many as 20 churches Paul planted. He, he gave his life for this hope, right? He died proclaiming this message, planting these churches. In fact, Paul planted the, the church in Ephesus, right? Five or 10 years before he wrote them this letter, he was there sharing this message. Like he, when he's right, he's picturing them, right? He knows them. He writes, seeing their faces, knowing their stories. And in chapter one, as Paul writes this letter, he's, um, chapter one, he really paints this picture of what God has done throughout redemptive history in bringing salvation to humankind. But chapter two then, chapter two culminates with the church, the household of God, the, um, the people gathered together, this community. But before, before he gets there, he reminds them of their story, his story, our story. And it couldn't be scarier. Look at, look at what it says, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you were dead. It's a great way to start a story, right? Start with the main character, or what we think is the main character, as dead. And you were dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. Our story is that we're dead already. Our, our biggest problem isn't lack of money or lack of education. It's not the political disaster that we find ourselves in. It's, it's not even the people, like the worst people around you in your life. My biggest problem is me. Like, I, I'm, I'm, the pro, I'm, the, I'm the difficult one, right? I'm the villain in my own story. My own worst nightmare. Like, if, if anyone is going to shipwreck this thing, it's... It's going to be me, Paul says. Why? Because I'm a, I'm a son of disobedience, which just sort of sounds like a Stephen King novel, doesn't it? A son, I mean, and it, you go, he described like walking in sin, he says, following the flow of this world, following the devil, he says. Maybe, maybe you hear that and you're like, man, Paul, come on. Classic exaggeration, right? Classic Paul. Just going overboard. I'm not, I'm not that bad. I mean, yeah, I sin, right? I mean, who doesn't? I'm not perfect, but I'm a whole lot better than most people. I'm living a decent life, right? But look how he continues. That we're constantly living out the passions of our flesh, right? That we're essentially enslaved to the desires of our, of our body and mind. And, you know, when I read that, actually, that, you know, that does sound a lot like me, truthfully. 
constantly consumed with my own desires, my own sense of satisfaction and well-being, right? No matter what the cost. I recently, just this past uh, Monday, I think, uh, finished reading to the kids. I love to read to the kids. Um, they're nine and seven. Uh, 100 Cupboards uh, by, by Andy Wilson. You know, it's kind of a fantasy world sort of, sort of, sort of book. And um, like the climactic scene of, of this story uh, is when this mostly dead and yet strangely beautiful witch shows up. And in the, in the story, I mean, like sin, like she, she's lovely, her voice is appealing, she draws you in, you think, you think, you know, there's something about her that you just can't escape, and yet you find out very quickly that she is there to consume the main character, right? That she, she can't live apart from, from his death, and she will do anything, anything to grab onto it and, and to take it. And as it's written, the, the kids and, you know, the reader along with them get these, like, strange glimpses of who she really is. They see her as this nasty old hag, eyeless, hairless, dead already. And as much, as much as I'd really like to not believe that I'm the villain in my own story, Paul says, I'm a dead man grasping at life, a zombie looking to feed. But you know what? Like, that's not even the worst part. Look what he says next. Thanks a lot, Paul. He says, we were by nature children of wrath. By nature children of wrath. Like not just, not just our behavior. Like it's not just our sins. It's that like it's part of who we are and our brokenness that we prefer selfishness. Like that we gravitate towards, towards pride and self-centeredness. That we will, we will do anything to, again, consume those, those desires. That we're by nature children of wrath. Because of our rebellion. Because of my feasting on death. And I mean, I, I don't know about you. I've, I've watched some scary movies. I've read some scary stories. But nothing compares to this. I mean, not, not if you're going to take it seriously. Right? If, if you believe for even one moment that there is a God who made you and he sees you, like not just like the persona that you put on Facebook, but like you, he knows you better than you know yourself. And, I, and if we're honest, like I spend most of my life running, right? Hiding, rejecting, doing anything I can to avoid him, rebelling, rebe- really just wanting nothing to do, wanting him to just leave me alone, right? Then he sees all of that and that he cannot turn a blind eye. Because he can't. Like if you want to believe in a God who is good and loving, he also has to be judge, doesn't he? Like you, can't, you can't have one without the other because, because if, he's, if he's not also judged, then he's, he's, he's okay with murder and rape and child abuse. Like, like it's okay that we exploit one another and that there, there are still slaves in our culture and, and, and racism and, and terrorism. A good and loving God must judge those things. And, and maybe, like maybe we're okay with like hell for those people, Right? But here's the problem. Those things live in here. All of them. And if you don't see them in you, look, look a little deeper. Those things, they're in us. 
And we can't, we can't just like get them out, right? They're in me. Ours is a story of death. And some of you, some of you have recently lost loved ones, right? And you've experienced death. You've, you've seen death up close. And as a pastor, you know, I, I've, I've been around more than my fair share of death. And death, death is ugly, right? Even, even the very best death is, is jarring to us. And you cannot, you cannot miss it, right? When you're there with a cold and lifeless body, how helpless it is. There's nothing left. Paul says that's, that's us. Cold and laying on a slab. And yet somehow we still think, well, if I'm just good enough, if I'm just decent enough, right? If, I, if I'm just successful enough, or maybe if, I've just, if I just can carve out enough happiness on my own, then I can live a, a good and fine life. we're dead. The dead can't do anything for themselves. That's the church's story. And li- listen, this, this means that the church is not a place for people who have it all together. It's not a place for people who think they're okay, right? who, th- who think they, they don't need any help, who think that they're better than. It's not, that's, that's not who we are. It can't be. The starting point for going to church isn't thinking you're good enough. It's not, it's not believing that you're better than the starting point is admitting that you're not. It's admitting that you're dead. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and you, you consider yourself a part of a church, like the entry point is, is just, I'm dead. I can't do it. It's one of the things that we hold in common together is how helpless and desperate we are. Mm, great story, right? It stinks. Didn't you say something about hope earlier? Well, honestly, if this, if this is where it ended, this, this would be where it ended. There would be no hope. No, no point to any of this. It would be ridiculous, right? We'd be lost, and we would remain dead. But the next two words out of Paul's mouth, two of the greatest words ever written, so simple, and yet... Everything changes with these two words. We were dead, but God. We had no chance, but God. We had, we had no hope, no possibility, but God. Yes, the story knows us, and it couldn't be scarier, but it also rescues us, and it couldn't be more satisfying. And you may have noticed that all the verbs up to this point, they're all past tense, right? It's who we were. It's, it's who we used to be. It's who we would be uh, apart, apart from Christ. But God, Paul says, being rich in mercy because of the, of the great love with which he loved us. But God who overflows with mercy. I mean, he's rich with the stuff. Who, who loves us because he loves us. I mean, that's essentially the, the reason Paul gives, right? Why does God love us? Well, he loves you because he loves you, Right? That's, that's, his, that's his argument, right? It's not, it's not because we're so lovable. It's not because we're cute enough or nice enough. It's simply because the God of the universe chooses to love me. But God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. Not when we got a little better, not when we became a little nicer, not when we tried a little bit harder. While we were dead, 
that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we share the empty tomb with Christ. That, that, that's what he says, right? That, we, that he raised us up with him, that when Jesus walked out of the empty grave on Easter Sunday, you and I walked out with him. How? Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. By grace through faith. Grace, it's, it's, it's a gift of God, which actually, I mean, it only makes sense, right? If, if you're dead, it has to be a gift. Dead people can't earn anything through faith. Trust, dependence, not perfect faith, not doubtless faith, simply enough faith to say, I'm with him. And that this story can be our story. Mine and yours. And as a church, this is, this is what we do. Like, this is why we gather, to, to tell this story over and over and over and over. And there is no other story. There's not, no other, like, side thing. This, this is the story. And so if you're, if you're new here, let me just kind of let you in on a little bit of a spoiler, I guess. Like, we don't gather because it's going to be super inspiring. Necess- I mean, it's me most times. Um, <laughs> This is not going to happen. Uh, we don't gather so we know all the rules. Not that rules are unimportant, but that's not why we're here. It's like, well, I got to know all the rules so I know how to, how to get good enough, right? How to, how to, no. We, and we certainly don't gather so that we can, you know, look down on those who don't. That we can feel good about ourselves and go off in our self-righteous ways. That, that is not it. We go, we come to tell this story. To remind ourselves that we are dead, but have been made alive. I mean, what a story. Like, if you think the story of, of Christianity or the story of Jesus or the story of church is about, you know, mean people becoming a little nicer, right, or, or bad people becoming a little less bad or good people becoming better, I mean, come on. How lame would that be? Ours is a story where dead people are made alive. That that's the transformation that happens. That's, that's our story. And when we tell that story, when we live that story, others encounter it. Let's watch. I didn't go to church a lot as a kid. It was just my mother who went to church on occasion, um, but she always believed in Jesus, would always pray with us. So I did believe in him. Um, but I didn't know what it meant to truly believe in him and to follow him. On November 3rd, 2015, um, my two-month-old father uh, went to work and decided he wasn't going to come home. I wanted to lay in bed till I died. I didn't know what to do. I had no job. Um, was going to be a stay-at-home mom. I just, re- I just reached a point of knowing that everything I ever do- did in my life to make me feel happy or have this wonderful life was so wrong. My family came to me, my brother especially, and said, why don't you just come to church with us today? So I came, I, th- I think I might have even been in my sweat still, and uh, I just came and I just cried the whole service. But it wasn't until this, where I, I had nowhere else to go, that I realized what it really meant to surrender everything else and really listen and know that his way is better, 
he saved me in that moment of not only a place to live, but of a actual hope that I can do this. Um, I know it was a one-time help, but it, it changed everything. It, it, it flipped a coin for me that said that I could do this. And, um, and I've been here since. I found hope at Christ Community just because with everything around me that seemed so horrible and scary and different, I, I wasn't scared. I didn't know what a happy life would look like, but I knew what it felt like. Um, one of the things that I found here at Christ Community is that I look forward to it, um, that it brings me back down to earth and even though I've had a crazy week or sometimes even a crazy morning before I got here, as soon as I get here, a lot of times whatever is being preached on that day is what exactly I was going through. And especially in the beginning, it seemed like every single week something I was pondering or thinking about, the answer was kind of shoved in my face. And I figured if I'm gonna do anything with my life, I've got to learn to follow and listen and not try to fix it myself. Church is a place to be yourself. Church is a place to find help. Church is a place to find someone to help. I'm just so thankful for this church. It gives me hope. our story. And that, that leads us to the last thing. Um, I want to get a little bit practical here for us as we think about what it looks like to live this out together. Because uh, the story doesn't end there. Um, your story, Kristen's story, my story, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't end there. Yes, the story knows us and it rescues us. But what's so amazing is that it also includes us. It invites us in and gives us a job to do that. You and I, we're not just saved from something bad, right? Sin and, and death and, and brokenness. Like we're, we're saved for something good and beautiful and, and wonderful. For even though Paul I mean, clearly said there's nothing that we can do to earn it, it doesn't get us off the, off the hook, right? In verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we've got to ask ourselves a few questions, uh, both individually and, and together as, as a people gathered in this space. First, first ask, ask yourself, have I embraced this hope? Um, or maybe even, am I embracing this hope? So like, not simply a one and done, sort of this is something that, like, it, are you continuing to go back to this, this source of, of hope? Because Paul says that we who, who embrace the story, we who are his people, his, his church, that we are his workmanship. Like that, that word just struck me this week, Think, thinking about that. Because, you know, I've made stuff, right? And some of you, I'm sure you've, you've made things. And there's just like that joy of being able to like step back and look like this is, this is what I've made. And to think that there's a, there's a God in heaven who calls us his, his workmanship. And even as chapter 2 continues, we'll see this more next week, but Paul continues this sort of building metaphor. He writes at the end, he says that we are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also 
are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That we are, we, us, we're, we're his workmanship together, being built by God into a holy temple, a place, a place that his Spirit somehow mysteriously dwells with us as a people. Does that describe you? There's hope here, but have you embraced it? I mean, if not, according to Paul, you're dead. According to, to Paul, you're a slave to your desires, and your story will not end well. Maybe, maybe that sounds like harsh, right, or extreme, but this story is only good news for those who want it. Maybe you're, maybe you're here this, this morning and you, maybe you recognize the death that lives inside you. Well, like those of us who are Christians, right? That's, that's the entry point. You recognize there's, there's death in here. So much sin. Maybe, maybe you even recognize that the, the things that you've been living for, the desires that you've been pursuing, they've let you down again they still haven't satisfied you, like the next thing and the next thing. And, and maybe you're just beginning to think, maybe, maybe those things were never actually designed to satisfy me. Like may, maybe they're pointing us to someone who actually can, to something, something more, to something better. Like there's hope for you if that describes you. This story can be yours. Pray to God, ask for his forgiveness, receive his, his life. I mean, why, like, why stay dead another day? Life is waiting for you. And if, if you do that, and for those of us who have done that, the next question to ask is, are we humbly walking in good works? Like, is there something different about us as, as a result? I mean, it, it's an amazing verse, isn't it? Verse 10, that we were created for good works and that God has, like, already prepared them beforehand. And so we should walk in them, Right? It's kind of an amazing thing to think of that God has already done this for us. It's just simply our, our you know, opportunity to walk in obedience and, and walk in them. And, and this, is, this is so important. I hope, I hope you already know this. I think, I think you probably do. But, like, church is not just these four walls, right? I mean, church is, church is not just a few songs and a sermon. Um, if you think that, just kill me now, okay? God help us, right? Because it's got to be more. We, according, according to this story, like you are the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, everywhere you go, like it's not something you leave behind. It's not a, simply a place that you go to. Yes, there's something unique about when we gather together, but you are the, the church. You are God's force for redemption in, in your work and in your school and on your team and in your hobbies and in your home and in your neighborhood and, and everywhere with everything, right? That that's, that's who we are. And it shows up in our concern for the poor and for the marginalized. We, we see it in the organizations that we support locally and, and globally. I mean, think, think about it this way. I, I, don't, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the church is the only organization on the planet that exists primarily for the good of those outside it. Like, just like, chew on that for a while. Like, the, the church is the only institution on the entire planet that primarily exists for the good of those who aren't here. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a uh, pastor uh, back in Nazi Germany, resisted the, the Germans. Uh, one of the things he writes, I love this, is the church is the church only when it exists for others. Which means that when, when or if we stop, 
we cease to be this, this group, this people. Every other group in the world has some other common niche or some, something that, that I'm supposed to get out of it, but that can't be us. It's not, it's not who we are. It's not who God has called us to be. We are created for good works, and most of those happen outside of here. God has planned them for you. Walk in them. Which, again, ought to humble us to the depths, Right? I know I said at the beginning, it's like it's, it sounds ridiculously arrogant to say we, we tell a better story, right? But if you're listening to the story, I mean, Paul even, he addresses it right there. He says, this, there's no boasting in this story. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, how, how possible, how, how could a Christian possibly be arrogant or self-righteous or judgmental or unforgiving or impatient? Like, for, I mean, there's just no category for any of that. We've received, we were dead, We'd still be dead. And the only, the only reason we're alive is because of someone outside of us. Someone who showed us mercy, who came to rescue us. And now we get to extend that hope to others. And that's, that's the last question. Are we, are we doing that? Are we extending this hope to others? Are we the kind of, of church where broken people can find healing? Where, where hurting people can find comfort? Where lost people can be found? I, that's the, that's the church I want to go to. Like, don't you? I mean, I don't, I don't want to go to a church that exists only for itself, right? That that's, focuses in and only wants to, to be served and get our rights and our way and only my preferences. Like, I want to go to a place that gives itself away, that has a, has a bigger picture, that loves its community and its city and its world. Are we living before others in such a way that people see his story, not just our small truncated versions but his story are, are we telling them the reason for our hope when's the last time you've invited somebody to church or just offered to, to pray with somebody who's hurting I mean, even if, as i said that for many of you somebody like a face popped into your mind right we all know people who are desperate for hope why not offer it to them why not invite them into this to this, this story. And I, I know, even as I say this, that that is happening here. That's, that's why we're, we're growing. That's why we're talking about, about building here and, and making room for, for those out, outside of us. It's not about us. I mean, God forbid, it can't be about us. It can't even really be for us. It's for the people we haven't met yet. The people who need a better story, who are moving to our neighborhood, who are, who are all around us, right? Who... who who just like you and me are desperate for hope. This is what Jesus has done for us. And this is, this is why we're here. The church tells a better story. And I love stories. I love, I mean, some of you know that I get lost in stories. I just love to get sucked in, right? And just sort of live in this other reality for, I mean, I, lo- I love, I love, I love stories. And I, I know I'm a nerd, but like I would give anything to like wander through Middle Earth just for like five minutes, right? Or, or to like go through the wardrobe uh, or to be the next person to destroy the Death Star. Anybody else? Or, or study at Hogwarts or, you know, I mean, I want to be the one who knocks, right? I mean, I love these stories, but the, the difference is like I can never, I can never do that. I can never experience any of those things. I can watch them from a distance. I can love them and admire them, but, but they're, they're not real. The best stories are true stories, and this story it's even more fantastic 
Like, we don't have to escape reality to experience the fantastic. We don't have to make believe to live in a world in which magic, like real magic happens. Ours is a story where dead people live, where a great and powerful king travels across heaven and earth just to, just to be with us, who slays the ultimate dragon on our behalf of sin and death and hell, who, who promises to love us and pursue us and to satisfy us like no one else. That's our story, which means there's hope for me, hope for you. And God help us, that hope is here. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are the God who has come to rescue. That you've come to take dead people and make them alive. God, that you've come to to pursue those who have rebelled against you and invite them, adopt us into your family. God, I pray that we would embrace that. And would you humble us with that? God, I I pray that you would forgive us for the ways in which we have been arrogant or self-righteous or just even just proud, God. Remind us that all we have is what you've done for us. That all we are is, is who you have been for us and that God, together we can rejoice that it wasn't just Jesus who walked out of that tomb alive, but me too. God, I pray that we be a church um, completely saturated with that truth and that others would would come, that they they would see you in us um, and all that that we do and experience the hope that you offer. God, I pray that it it wouldn't be ever about us but about your great name. God, build your kingdom. And if you're so gracious, would you use us to do that? I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.